Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 24. We're still working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Today's topic is Ask and it will be given. So today is about asking our Father who is in heaven for things. And yet again, it's, it's vital to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So we'll see as we go through Scripture today that there is in fact a right way and a wrong way to ask. So let's dive into Scripture and see what it says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So that's an interesting thing you see there. He's preaching. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching. Christ is preaching, and the people he's talking to says, If you, then who are evil. You know, there's another instance where there was a crowd following Jesus. There's two instances, actually. I think that John the Baptist called the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes a brood of viper, and Jesus said, "You You are of your father the devil. But either way, there was a group of people following Jesus, who were claimed to be followers of God, let's say, and Jesus says, you are of your father the devil. Now, that's not very commonly preached in the Church of America these days, I don't think, nor is it common for a pastor or a priest or or anyone to be on stage or in the pulpit, let's say, and to recognize the people he's preaching to as evil. So that's very interesting, you know, a lot of people have sissified Jesus. He was actually a really tough character in a lot of ways. He did display anger. He did rebuke. And he was tough on people. He called apostles Satan. He called Peter Satan. Okay? this Jesus was not some fairy tale unicorn, rainbow. Like, Jesus is not going to come back on a rainbow in the clouds with a, a, um, a, bubble, a bubble gun in his left hand and a Nerf gun in his right hand, right? And there's like pixie dust around him, and the horse is covered in glitter. That's not what's going to happen, okay? So let's make sure we don't take from Jesus Christ his nature when we're reading Scripture. The following information was taken from a scholarly commentary. Ask, seek, knock. We see a progressive intensity going from ask to seek, Jesus told us to have intensity, passion, and persistence in prayer. The fact that Jesus came back to the subject of prayer, which was already dealt with in some depth in Matthew chapter 6, it shows the importance of prayer. Jesus made it clear that God doesn't have to be persuaded or appeased in prayer. He wants to give us not just bread, but even more than what we ask for. So I think everything so far is pretty clear and coherent, kind of straightforward. But again, we have to be curious Curiosity, yes, you've heard the phrase, curiosity kills the cat. Well, that depends on what you're curious about. If you're curious about Scripture, it's not going to kill the cat. It's it's going to spiritually strengthen you. So, we we have to ask, is there possibly a right way and wrong way to ask? Well, certainly, because there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. So, let's see what Scripture says. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. Here we have evidence for wrong asking. The wrong asking here seems to be about seeking first treasures on earth. 
let's just see what some other commentaries say. The following information was taken from a scholarly commentary. We might state it as a virtual spiritual law that God does not give unless we ask. If we possess little of God and his kingdom, almost certainly we have asked little. <clears throat> Remember this text. Jehovah says to his son, Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So if the royal and divine son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favor. Why should it be? This is the second thing he says. After dealing with the problem of no prayer, now James addresses the problem of selfish prayer. These ones, when they did ask, they asked God with purely selfish motives. So let's let's go through a couple examples of properly asking and, prop, and improperly asking, rather. Let's take money and material possessions as an example, since earthly passions were talked about in James. There is a difference in asking for a well-paying job to bless your loved ones, and to give your family a better upbringing than you had versus just being money-hungry to spend irresponsibly. There's a difference between asking God for an airplane because of ego and status, and you want to look cool and look like, hey, uh, hey, I'm a pilot, you want to go and ride in my plane? Uh, it's so cool, yeah. We'll just take a spin. Do you want to go to Savannah today? We'll, uh, just meet me at the airport. You know, that's, that's ego, that's status, that's garbage. It's different from asking from an asking God for an airplane because you want to use it to spread the gospel and support mission trips. Intent matters here, right? So these examples have have the same outcome, but the motives are different and the intentions are different. Those are the key differences. Now I've heard people say seeming, I should say I've heard people talk. It just seemed that way to me, like talking resentfully towards people who have money as if money's bad. And I've even heard people say that money's the root of all evil. It's like, no, it's not. Satan is the root of all evil, and human beings are a portal to bring Satan's evil into this world. Money isn't bad. It's people who misuse money that are bad, or abuse it, let's say, or waste it. It's not good. The same thing goes for guns. Guns aren't bad. People who misuse guns are bad. People who use money for criminal enterprises and use weapons for criminal enterprises, let's say, that's bad. The items themselves are not. People are always the problem. It's never things or resources. Now let's talk about financial responsibility because I've seen that problematic too. And that's always going to be in the forefront of someone's mind um, regarding asking like, you know, am I asked, should I be asking? Should I not? What's, what's my left and right boundaries here? Like I got to feed my family, but I don't want to be living in a tent on the side of the road, getting donations from people. So it's like, where's the balance of asking for, for a sufficient, uh, and it's not comfort, right? It's more like stability. That's what we want. It's not necessarily about comfort because comfort and complacency can kill. So it's, so we have to kind of find the balance of what would be good and stable for my family, right? Now I've seen people try and be responsible with finances and receive unwarranted criticism for it by others and claim that those people who are trying to be responsible with finances are stacking up riches on earth. So depending on what financial expert you consult, they will recommend having anywhere, anywhere from three to six months of bills saved up for either potential job losses or unemployment, etc. That is financial responsibility. That's not stacking up riches on earth. Now you might be listening to that and you're like, yeah, 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 that's self-evident. But I'm telling you that it isn't self-evident to all people. I've personally heard conversations where people will say to those saving money or trying to save money, they'll say something akin to, that's not needed, 
just live like everyone else. Everyone else has to live paycheck to paycheck. That's just the way life is. And when I heard that, I really couldn't believe it. So let's imagine being in that position as a husband or a wife. So imagine being a husband who is criticized by his wife for being responsible. Like how annoying would that be? She's saying you're, what you're doing is unnecessary. And he's saying, no, this is financial responsibility. How annoying would that be? And maybe hurtful too if she's trying, maybe there's an, in an intention interpretation there as well. If she's assuming malevolence rather than um, giving him the benefit of the doubt. And here's the other thing. Imagine being the, a biblical wife, right? With children, you're staying at home to raise the kids. And you, let's say you're, you happen to be married to a financially irresponsible husband who doesn't save money and he loses his job and then everyone gets evicted from the home. That's terrible. Both of those situations would be equally hurtful and equally catastrophic, right? So financial responsibility, irresponsibility, I should say, is no joke. And it seems based on my experience, people who are irresponsible, or it could even be incompetent, are typically the ones criticizing the ones who are trying to be responsible and competent by saving money to prepare for, let's say, unemployment or an economic crisis. So if you're looking for a good resource to help with finances, check out Dave Ramsey. He breaks things down into percentages. He says, this is how much you should spend on a vehicle. This is how much you should spend on a house. This percentage based on your income. And I think he takes, he'll take the interest rate and inflation into consideration. He's, he's a brilliant guy. And now he says about three months or so is a good benchmark for a savings account. That's my goal. I want to get three months of bills saved up. He also talks about emergency funds for water heaters, transmission, and other mechanical issues that may pop up. If we're going to ask our Heavenly Father for anything at all, let's ask Him to help us be financially responsible. That's what we should be asking for. And then, of course, ask Him to convict those who are financially irresponsible. Now, we have to remember the four pillars of faith here. Trust, conviction, action, and obedience. Money isn't going to magically appear in our account after we ask, though a magical donation could appear. I'm sure it's happened. I've never seen it, but someone could pray, and then all of a sudden, the very next day, someone donated money, have no idea where it comes from. So it could show up, but, it, but that is a donation. That's not just magically snapping your fingers. When you pray, every time you pray, you get 10 bucks. Okay, I'm going to pray. Uh, I've got this many bills. I'm going to pray 10 times today. I'll get 100. No, it doesn't work that way. So in lieu of the four pillars of faith, we must take action after asking for that specific thing. Now, the action could be going back to school, working overtime, getting an additional job, or changing careers. So it's, it's not just simply asking, but it's that knocking, right? That's action. You're, you're, it's ask, asking is with your mouth, seeking is with your mind, and knocking is with your body. So you have to kind of have the whole chain working together towards the same idea. Now, regarding asking, there's a reason I didn't touch on asking people to be healed, asking for restoration of some sort, or asking for spiritual growth. I didn't bring any of that stuff up at all because it's self-evidently correct. And I have never seen anyone consider that kind of asking is wrong. It's usually the money-related stuff that gets confused and I've, I've seen people think that like being a Christian means an intentional descent into poverty or something like that. And that's not the case. Now, it's also not the prosperity gospel that God wants to make every single person a millionaire. Not at all. But it's, it's neither... Being a Christian is not about being rich by monetary means. And it's not about being poor in monetary means. That's just one of those elements of life where you, you kind of have a lot of control over that yourself. You have to give God something to bless, right? So... The guidance Christ had 
for selling everything and following him was told to a rich man. It was not told to a middle-class citizen, okay? It wasn't told someone that was a lower-class citizen or someone who was, in, who was impoverished. So if you Google rich or wealthy in the United States, I will tell you according to, it will tell you rather that Schwab's 2021 Modern Wealth Survey, most Americans believe it takes a net worth of about $1.9 million to qualify as a person being wealthy. Now that's just one way to look at it. There's another resource, which is the Economic Policy Institute, and it's actually Americans who earned a minimum of $420,000 a year that are considered wealthy. So if you take the brackets, wealthy and rich is anywhere from $420,000 a year to $1.9 million a year. Now, obviously, if you take that $400,000 a year and then you go to another country, that $4,000 could very well turn to $800,000 based on their, where their currency is at. But again, we majority of, of those listening is probably living in, in the United States, though there are some international listeners, and that's the bracket for the U.S., 420 to 1.9 million. So now, given that, asking money, responsibilities, left and right boundaries of what constitutes rich, I think right now would be a good time to talk about criticism of rich people or the criticism of the management of resources. So this is where my opinion, I'll always tell you when it's my opinion. If we're mad about poor people suffering, while people have an income between $420,000 a year and $1.9 million a year, and those people aren't helping mitigate suffering, they're not helping the poor, they're not helping others, if, and if you know for sure they aren't and you're upset about it, fair enough, man. Fair enough. But if we are criticizing people who make less than $420,000 a year, then our criticism is probably invalid because those people aren't rich or wealthy, okay? They're not rich or wealthy. And if we are mad about someone having three houses, three boats, three airplanes, a butler, a chef, a nanny, and a maid, but they aren't helping the poor, then fair enough. I understand your frustration. I totally get it. I also think it's unnecessary to have three houses, three boats, and three airplanes, a chef, a butler, and a nanny. I think it's ridiculous. But if we're criticizing a man who is an entrepreneur who makes $400,000 a year and he busts his tail and he has one house, one little John boat, a little crop duster airplane, and he puts his children through private school. If we have a problem with that, then there's pro he's probably not the problem. The person who's criticizing him is probably the problem. And there could very well be some resentfulness or jealousy or even coveting on the person's part who wants to criticize that person. Now, this goes back to putting our judgment in check, right? Like we talked about yesterday in the podcast of Judging Others. These types of criticisms, when you're in people's financial chili, let's say, because you're never going to know 100% the details. You can look at a rich man all day and say, you're irresponsible with money. And he could be like, I donated 30% to churches of my income. What, a, what of it? Right? That boat was for a charity. That's, so you, that's why where judgment gets tricky, because you don't really know what people are doing. So it's, it's really better to sh keep our mouths shut, because we're not, again, regarding judgment, we aren't to be the arbiter of someone's day-to-day -day life. The, the idiosyncratic specifics of an individual's life is, is not really going to be known except for the people who are close to them, like a brother, sister, father, mother, wife, husband, those types of people. Looking at a rich person on the news and, and Monday morning quarterbacking his finances probably is not the right thing to do, I would say. So let's bring today to a close. Seven short summaries. Number one, we must ask to receive... Number two, God does in fact want to bless us. Number three, we must ask rightly not to spend on passions. Number four, we should assume that God wants to see financial responsibility. We should assume that.
Number five, we should expect God to want to see us display financial responsibility with little before he trusts or gives us much. Number six, we should keep our judgment in check regarding how people manage their money because $420,000 a year up to $1.9 million a year is what's considered rich in the U.S. So at the end of the day, you're still not supposed to be the arbiter of someone's common day-to-day life. So just if you want to talk in general about, hey, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for rich people to have 10 houses. I think one house for your family or a house for your mom and dad and a house for your brothers and sisters I think that's if, if you want to offer an opinion as a universal generality without specifically blaming an individual person, that's totally fine. Because then at that point, you're contending with ideas rather than criticizing an individual person. Number seven, seven, and the last one, we shouldn't be resentful or jealous of other people's things. That's coveting, right? And we should not be arbiters of people's day-to-day life like we mentioned before. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.